happy Wednesday to all of you and those online. As you're getting settled in and grabbing your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges as we continue where we left off last week. Well, yeah, last time I taught. And that's, uh, we're going to pick right back up in Judges chapter 14 and 15 this evening. One, one message, just remember men, men's breakfast is this Saturday. Men's breakfast this Saturday, second Saturday of each month, 10 o'clock. Bring a friend, got uh, everything set and ready to go for the most part, and just have to cook it. And uh, fellowship, it's going to be a, just a sweet, sweet, sweet time. So uh, Judges chapter 14 and 15 this evening, as we continue in the life of Samson, uh, we finished last week uh, the birth of Samson, but we got introduced to uh, his mom and dad and how the Lord revealed himself to them. So let's open up in prayer and let's get right into the study. Father, again, we thank you again for this evening as we are able to gather here in your name, here and online, Lord, and we just thank you for the opportunity to be able to just uh, spend time together uh, in your word. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to move in a mighty way and speak to our hearts tonight through your scripture, through the word, and may it just uh, penetrate uh, the soft hearts that we have, Lord, and ears that are eager to hear what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Samson, uh, we're going to call it tonight Samson's riddled life, as we will see here in the scripture, how that can play out in the decision making you make as a man, as a young man, uh, starting off with a call of God on his life. He makes some very bad choices. Uh, and it ends up revealing a riddled life versus a blessed life, uh, a fruitful life, uh, because of his choices that he has made. We'll start here in Judges 14, and we'll just take verses 1 through 3 here, and we'll chat about that a little bit here. Now, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from, an, from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. <laughs> you just can see the tone of what's going to happen in verse, chapter 14, just by how Samson was just showing, was not showing honor to the father and mother at all. He was completely going against the commandment to, to honor your father and mother. Just the fact that he responds back to him and says, I want to go. I'm going to go uh, hook up with an un, uh, an un, uh, non-believer, as we would call a non-believer, but a non-Israelite. And he's just said, and the father and mother wasn't right because they said, "Isn't there another option around within the Israelites?" No, they should have just drew the Samson. You are completely going against the word of God. You're going against, you're not honoring us. No, he didn't call it. They soft-shoot a little bit. But, oh, isn't there someone else around here that would meet your needs? No. He was following the flesh here because he was going by sight, as we can see. But there seems to be a case for the what we call love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight can be very dangerous. Because that love at first sight here for Samson, he saw the woman and he was in a territory looking at women he shouldn't even been looking at in the first place. And he instantly wanted her to marry her. He completely was blinded to the fact that what God, what God wants for his life and what God had a calling on his life and all these other things. All that mattered is what his flesh saw. The fact that she, by her beauty and beauty alone, pleased his eyes. 
She was right in his and my eyes. And then all that mattered is he was blinded by those eyes. While Samson really cared about how things looked to himself, not how they looked to the Lord. And we must always remember, how does God see this? Doesn't matter what you think. You first need to see how God sees it. Then you factor other things in. But go always go with what the Lord sees. Love at first sight is very powerful, but very dangerous. It's entirely possible for us to fall in love with someone that we have no business falling in love with. And that's exactly what Samson did. As well, love at first sight feels wonderful. Oh, it feels wonderful. Going by the feelings of just, oh, beautiful. But does it last in its initial form forever, you know? Just because it feels right now doesn't mean it's going to be right when you finally realize you should not have been doing what you should be doing. We can be attracted more to the feeling of love itself than the person we actually focus upon. Whom we really don't even know at first sight. You don't even know. You're just purely going based on beauty. But he demands from his father, get her for me for she pleases me well. And he demanded a Philistine wife. Samson showed a sinful disregard for his parents. Completely goes against his parents. We see that clearly in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4. Just because of his romantic feelings, completely disregarded what God's view of things are. And there are many people today who still demand from God... A mate out of God's will. God, I need a, I need a wife. But you do it. You don't care. I, I want it out of your will. So you still ask him for a blessing to bring you a wife, even though you're asking for a wife that's out of God's will, and you don't care. <laughs> it's crazy. But seen played out way too many times in the ministry. His parents attempted to dissuade him, but I don't think he, they swayed him powerfully enough. He just allowed himself to be swept by the passions of his feelings and emotions and, and realize, think, these are right, these are good, these are good feelings, these are good reasons. I think this is of God. No, he didn't say there's anything about this is of God. He just says, this is right in my own eyes. Remember, as a Nazarite, command to the Israelites as well, even if you know he's an Israelite, was not to intermarry with a pagan nations. We're not supposed to be touchy, anything in regards to the pagan nations around them, especially bonding with them in marriage. And it applies to Christians today, that a Christian must not marry someone who is not a Christian. It's not negotiable. Joining together with an unbeliever is clearly not acceptable. See it in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, regardless of how you feel. And this is because those who are not Christians are not lovable. That's not the point. Matter of fact, there are some people who are non-believers are more lovable than people I know who are believers. They're very unlovable. So that's not the point. It doesn't make you better than a non-believer. It's not because you aren't good enough or worthy of love, of that type of love. It's that they're somehow inherently incapable of being a good marriage partner. It is simply because to be a Christian means Jesus Christ must be the most important person and thing and priority of your life. And when a Christian and a non-Christian get together, you have two people who cannot completely agree. They will be in disagreement. They will not be in complete unity. At the level of spiritual level they're supposed to be, that's the most important thing of your life. You will have division. A Christian should never date a non-Christian. There's no such thing. And those who do run a serious risk of falling in love because you start bonding as a friend, bonding then you and this a pseudo-Christian, let me take and share a couple of verses and maybe I can 
potentially convince you to come to church and to hopefully your dating you might lead them to Christ kinds of moments. Oh man, I've seen it all. You have no business falling in love with someone who's not a Christian and be equally yoked with you. We are, as a Christian, is advised to carefully discern the Christian commitment of the one we are interested in. Trust me, there's many people over the years have these, these, these sense of pretended conversions that calculate just so that they can they know man if i don't act like i'm a christian then they're not going to stay with me and i won't be able to get married and that doesn't matter we'll figure this out after we get married it happens but it should not be happening that way if someone goes against god's plan and marries an unbeliever or if someone becomes a christian before their spouse right you're two non-believers you get married not a problem that's the you're just like, you know, you got married. It, it, no problem. But one becomes a Christian versus another. There are very specific commands that apply how to deal with that situation. Apostle Paul clearly writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 16, how to deal with that situation at hand. God did use Samson mightily. There's no question that we see in the scripture. But God used Samson despite his sin not because of it. There's a difference. It is fair to suppose that God may have used Samson in a far greater way. There was no question in my mind. He would have been much more fruitful, much more using God will use him in a mighty way to, for the nation of Israel as, a, as the, the last kind of the last judge here. And he could have done mighty things than what he actually ended up doing. God could have done such a great thing through a clean vessel that God had set around him aside as a Nazarene. Remember, he's the only Nazarene that I know I can remember the scripture that is actually was a Nazarene for life. The rest of the ones, even John the Baptist, were not Nazarenes for life. They were only temporary Nazarenes. So God had a big plan for that man. And how God can use a clean vessel according to the principle of 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. How God can use someone who walks rightly with God and how mightily God can use that person for, for God's purposes. Then we see in verse 4 of chapter 14, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Interesting that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now you read that verse, and people use this verse to justify marrying a non-believer. I'm sure the Lord is using this just like Samson, where God's behind the scenes there, Pastor, and Samson's desire to marry is really of God really putting the desire on my heart to actually, again, be very careful before you start applying scriptures for yourself just to justify. But here in the verse, we see it very clearly. But the father and mother did not realize it and know it was of the Lord. Because God's going to use Samson to actually take down the Philistines who was suppressing the Israelites. As we look at the rest of the chapter. Some good ultimately came out of an ungodly marriage. Many Philistines were killed. And they were kept off balance in an attempt to dominate the Israelites. And God used him in that, that realm of intertwining with the Philistines to take out many. But it's not in God's perfect will, I don't believe. But none of that, nevertheless, just remember... None of this justifies or justified Samson's actions by dishonoring his parents and going his own way by pleasure. But then again, our God is perfect. 
He knows all things and he has certain things he needs to accomplish according to his purpose and plan. And he can take these situations. He God can make even the evil of man to serve his purposes. Don't forget that. But it never justifies the evil that the man does. Now, he says here we, he, seeked, he was seeking occasion to move against the Philistines. To accomplish a purpose. And God did not make a reluctant Samson pursue the Philistine woman for marriage. It appears very clearly as we look at these verses, God allowed Samson to do what he wanted to do. Okay, Samson, you wanted this Philistine woman? You pursuing this and you're demanding and never this? Fine, I will let you do it. I will still use it to accomplish my purpose. So God allowed it for the reasons for both Samson's life and for the reasons of on a larger scale when you take a look at the bigger picture. And that's why I always say, be very careful as you look at this because I've heard it many times given to me, you know, justifying their desire to marry a non-Christian because they trust some good will come out of it. I'm sure once I get married, she or he will come, come to Jesus. But it's still, God, do it right the first time. Do it. Don't, 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 don't compromise. No matter how much good God can bring out of it, that's, that's the hope for us. If we messed up, it's the hope for us that we messed up that God is going to then still can make something good out of this for those who love him. But that doesn't justify before you, you and then, come, then plead, oh, God, make something good to come out of this after he's clearly told you not to, to go forward with this. Because what's going to happen is, yes, he can turn it to good, but you could also experience a lot of pain in that process, as Samson. A lot of pain. So in verse 5 through 9, we see Something, one of the key things that Samson does here, again, compromising his Nazarite vow. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell Notice those key words here. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleads Samson well. I don't need to interpret that, do I, for you guys? Your big boys and girls to understand what that language means. After some time, when he returned to get her, he, returned, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You know, when you start hiding things and to, uh, to people you love and the people who's closest to you, you know you're in darkness. You know there's something not right. Something's not good. Immediately as you start, you just, why did, did, I, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you that oh, I met this girl and online and blah, 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 blah. all right? You didn't I tell you we were, I, I made this business deal with this non-believer and blah, blah. no, you didn't. After how many times we were sitting down talking about what's going on and what's new in your life and you've not happened to mention any of those things, <laughs> you know you're in trouble. You're slipping. You're on a slippery slope. We see here, this is what happens. Samson's going down through. He's not, as a part of the Nazarene vow, you're not supposed to be touchy, no touchy of anything in regards to wine, or anything, I should say, with grapes. Nothing. What does he do? He goes, wanders in a vineyard. <laughs> What's surrounding you in a vineyard? Grapes. <laughs> so why are you even there, even close to touching something you know you're not supposed to be touching? Why are you even near that thing? You shouldn't be close to it. But here's a lesson I think is very interesting, though. See, God 
Santa was dedicated to God for a whole lifelong vow of Nazarene. No question, we saw that in chapter 13. There's no question this young man from birth knew he was a Nazarene. So he didn't like he didn't know. He knew from, in his mother wasn't even supposed to touch a grape while he was in the womb. <laughs> so you can't justify, I didn't know. I was young, I didn't understand. No, he knew. But he, he came and he, when you sit there and you're prideful and you think you're strong enough, you know you're in trouble. Because you will start wandering dangerously close to this areas of, of what you're not supposed to do. In this case, he was, shouldn't even come close to the, those, walking in a vineyard. Because what happens, and I believe this is what the Lord shows us in the scripture. As soon as you go down that path and say, I didn't touch the grapes. But why are you in the vineyard? But I'm not touching the grapes. Doesn't matter. The enemy finds opportunity. And what does he do? He's like a lion, a roaring lion. A lion is just watching, and look who shows up in the vineyard. Hello? A lion. A lion shows up there. He now has to kill this lion. Now he has to deal with a dead carcass, which he's not supposed to touch. It's the second vow. He's, he's checking them off. You ever see a Nazarene? Don't touch the grapes. Don't touch dead body. Don't. He's checking them all off that he's not. And each time he's doing it, he's losing, losing, and losing more and more power. The Nazarene vow is like the Holy Spirit empowering him. And he's losing less and less power. Look what happens. So he tore this lion apart. He did still a miraculous strength. He hasn't lost it. He doesn't know he's in danger right now. He just knows he's shocked that there's a lion shows up. I didn't know. If I had no, no, I'm telling you now, the Lord tells us now, you start going into places you know you're not supposed to be, I guarantee you, you're going to be shocked. A lion's going to show up. Some, in some form or fashion, the lion's coming to try to devour you, take you out. It's only a matter of time. I tell you all the young guys all the time. I'm telling you, you're, you're messing around. You're, it's, it's just a bomb ready to go bomb. You're going to walk down the street. You're not going to, you're going to step on a landmine. Why, well, you shouldn't even be down there. The Holy Spirit of God wants to come upon you and me and give us power. But power for something far more important than some ripping a lion apart. The Holy Spirit comes upon us so that we are empowered to live for God as He asks us to live for Him, to please Him. And we should. Because when we're walking rightly with God and empowered by God to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God, it becomes a bright light and it becomes a witness for those around you that this life with Jesus is so effective in your life that you will desire the same thing. It's to draw. We're here to draw people to Jesus. And we can only do that if we're empowered by the Spirit of God. And we'll only have the Spirit of God, and we're not going to be grieving the Spirit of God, if we're walking rightly with God. But that didn't stop him. That wasn't enough warning. You would think it's like, uh -huh, wait, a lion in the middle of a vineyard, how did this happen? He was shocked. You would think, okay, God, I got your attention. I'm heading back home. I'm getting out of here. No, no. He continued to pursue through that, even those warning signs to go down and meet with this woman so she could, he could have pleasure with, uh, be pleased by her as we see in the scripture. This doesn't mean she was a good woman for Samson. To be attracted to, let alone marry. Because it is possible to fall in love with someone who is actually very wrong for us. This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep, literally, guard yourself, protect yourself. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. If we don't guard our hearts, we can end up in trouble. We can. 
we find that we are already in love with the wrong person, the only thing to do is to give them up immediately because it's right before God. Jesus told us that following him would require that we would give up the things we love most. Mark 10, verses 29 and 30. Then Samson, that wasn't enough. He brings other people involved. Samson, on the way back, stops back by the dead carcass of the lion in the vineyard. Still no, no alarms going off in his head. And then he reaches into the dead carcass and pulls out the honey because the bees have been there. It's been some time because the bees made honey. So there was some period of time that, was, that, that took place. Takes the honey and eats it on his way home like it, it's a joyful little moment here. He needs to get his strength back. Lost all objectivity. Pride will always blind you. You are not to touch the dead body or the carcass. Numbers chapter 6, verse 6, 7. Completely, you're not supposed to. And this is after he was remarkably filled with the Holy Spirit. How could someone go and fall to that level, even with, with the Spirit of God upon this man, if just shows you that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does not automatically make a person godlier? It just gave you the power to do what God, God wanted, needed you to do. person can be wonderfully gifted by the Spirit of God, yet still be very spiritually immature. But Samson did not tell his parents where he got the honey, about the lion, about being with that woman, walking in the vineyard, all the people who God has around you to, to be accountability, as they, we would call it, or at least someone to give you a warning so that you're blinded by your pride and your lust and your flesh and your sight and not by faith and you're walking. We, people who love you will give you the warning signs and help you and maybe guide you. Get, get, don't, don't, don't. What are you talking about? No, no, you don't say anything because you know deep within if I say something, I know what they're going to say. Samson had this consecration, this, this godly life. I'm a Nazarene. I'm a presence. I'm a Christian. I'm, I go, I, I'm, I'm a good guy around. There's appearance of it. But no communion. No relationship. Yes, visually people see you seem to be right with God, but you were really not right with God. It's just this... this only good for the sake of image. But the nature of his consecration of communion with God and in being and pleasing of God obviously was not there. Verse 10. So his father went down to the woman. He, he obeyed his son. There's the problem. And Samson gave a feast there. For young men used to do so. What does that mean? That means usually you have a bachelor party. And so Samson had a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when he saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. He didn't bring any of his buddies, any of his people close to him. He went down there and they brought, the Philistines brought their own little bachelor party together. 30 of them. Why? They were ready to have a drink fest. They were ready to party it up. If Samson didn't break his Nazarene vow by partaking in the wine, he certainly put himself in a situation where he could have by being in that drunken fest. On his honor with people he didn't even know. He 
It brought 30 companions to be with him. And it was not and is not difficult to get many people to come to a party. When you say there's drinks being poured out, people will show up. Verse 12. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. That tells me, I think Samson was a fun kind of guy. He liked a good party like everybody else. He's just a jokester. So what does he do? If he's not drunk, he's, and if he's in his right mind and he didn't drink, then he still was a jokester and he came up with a riddle. Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, seven days, we're not talking one night little feast with the guys. We're talking these guys with a whole seven days having a party. Within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments. That's expensive. One person only had one garment. Gets 30 pieces of linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Man, this is wealthy. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Why? Because it was so good. They were ready to go. They'd be, he'd been drinking. So he probably thought he had a good deal here. There was no way they're going to figure it out. They're probably drunk. They're not going to figure it out in the next seven days. I'm going to get wealthy off of this deal. Always swindling a deal, man. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. Ah, three of the seven. You can imagine, they're all sitting around. Boom, 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 is this what it means? Yeah, 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 this is what it means. Yeah. What do you think? What do you, you can see it all playing out. Give me another drink. Let's think about this. That's a lot of money. Like most betting that takes place, this friendly wager, what does it make a friendly wager? What we'll find out is that friendly wagers always turn out to be not so friendly. Never turns out to be too friendly. The loser always not happy. Very clever riddle. Samson was smart. Very clever. Even in his weak morality, he still had, you know, he was not so weak intellectually in this moment. Again, he thinks he's smarter. Again, in a form of pride. I, I'm smarter than these guys. These guys, I know, no, no, they don't know what they're dealing with here. So what happens? Now gets woman involved. Samson's Philistine wife. She's got the power, man. She's going to get the answer. Watch what happens. But it came to pass. But, this is a bad but. It came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that, you, that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. They're not playing around here. They know how much money is on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the dock here. Have you invite, invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? And Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. Okay, so she's pouring on the... You can see the tears flowing and the manipulation through the crying. You don't love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. You must not love me because you haven't explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Oh, that's not, that's not love to the ears of the wife-to-be, is it? <laughs> now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. So she's not, this is not a seventh-day moment here. She'd been weeping and manipulating him, trying to find out the answer for seven days. It's just now her life and her family's life is on the line because it's the seventh day. 
And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed my heifer, oh, that's sweet loving terms for the wifey, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> this Philistine woman knew how to manipulate the man and how to make her now becomes a burden on this man. Drip, 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 drip for seven days. Nag, nag, nag for seven days. And to break this man to, to come up with that riddle. Why did she do that? Because she is not of him, she is of them. She is of the Philistines. She, her family and everybody else, all of that getting in those people involved in the drinking and all that stuff, you'll compromise. Some wives will make themselves such a burden to their husbands until they can get what they want. It's a tactic that's used because it often works in short term. It's the long-term issue what happens. It poisons the relationship and ends up costing more than you ever would gain. Yes, you manipulated him on the short term, but long-term, the, the poison's there. It's long-term, you're in trouble because he will never forget it. A woman easily can manipulate the world's strongest man because Samson was the strongest man. But he was the weakest because of his flesh. That was his downfall. But she sided with her people. And that's the showing that fundamental weakness within the marriage. She went with her parents and not stand with her husband. Went with her nation or her people as a whole versus standing what is God and right in marriage. She did not fulfill the ideal essential to marriage of leaving one's father and mother and being joined to the one flesh relationship with her spouse that we see in Genesis 2.24 and Matthew 19.5. She didn't do that. That's why it was, this is a perfect example of why Samson should not have married this Philistine woman. We cannot expect someone who does not love God, the God of Israel, to build a marriage on God's principles. It won't happen. But we also see <laughs> the reason Samson's wife cooperated against her husband. It was very complicated. Why? Because they manipulate her out of fear to cause her to compromise and to give up the information because she valued her life, understandably. But she didn't tell Samson before she did it. If she would have told Samson, these guys are threatening me and my family and burning everything down, Samson was strong enough to go deal with them and take them out. But she didn't tell him. When a man gives in to his wife's manipulation just to keep the peace in the house, it always builds up anger and resentment in the man and guilt in the woman of what she did. There's all that is now compromising and causing problems within the marriage. And it doesn't work. It brings destruction. So what happens? Samson's anger and revenge because of his flesh comes raring out. Then the spirit of the Lord, again, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and went down to Eshkelon and killed 30 of their men. Took their apparel, gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. 
<laughs> it gets more complicated. He leaves the area. He knows his life is in trouble, right? He goes back to his dad's house, running to daddy. You made the mess. Why are you heading back to dad's house? And in the time, her father gives over her to an, his best man. Oh, that guy's never going to come back. So let me give you over to this other man so you're not single. You need to get the best man. And, and we'll, we'll, hey, I've got a double deal here. This is going to be great. But notice that the Spirit of the Lord did not come upon Samson to avenge the hurt feelings of a husband. But God's strategy was here. Let's take this moment and let's use this for the occasion to move against the Philistines to get them to, again, pushing them back because they were starting to overcome the Israelites. So the occasion God used for that opportunity to pour out his spirit to give Samson the ability to take out the Philistines. And he did. He took out 30 men to give the clothing that he owed. I guess that's honorable, huh? <laughs> I don't think so. To give the clothes to pay off his debt. He did pay off the debt at the expense of the Philistines. And Samson's wife was given to his companion. Can you imagine that kind of little moment there? Samson won the battle. He thinks he's justified, but he lost the war. His wife left him, went to his best man. Can you imagine that if there's, there's some counseling going on right there, what that would all played out? Counselor, you don't understand. I love my wife. But it seems that we're not moving in the same direction. All I hear is nag, 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 and, and all kinds of things. And I just feel like I'm always getting pressure to get things and do things just to kind of keep her happy. I finally do what she nags me to do, but then I'm, I, I, I get angry in the, in the situation. It gets worse and worse, and then it never gets, it seems to get better, and I can't shake it. I need to feel that she really supports me and really respects me here. That she's on my side, not her family's side, not her father and mother's side, not the, her, her community that she comes from, her best friends. I think she wants to give it up, and I think the marriage is, I, I know what to do. Then you get the other side. She goes to the council. My husband is a good guy, but he does not meet my needs. It was love at first sight. I fell in love with him. He was so strong. But everything's gone downhill. I don't think he really loves me. Everything I need him to do, he won't do unless I put, make sure I put pressure on him to do it. He doesn't respond to all my needs. I don't know why he doesn't know my needs. And then we just get in this big fight. And no one's happy. I wonder if he really loves me anymore. These are the things that play out all the time when you're based on feelings, based on emotions and everything else and everything. And, and yes, there's always two sides to the story. Samson was at fault for not guarding his heart against falling in love with this woman in the first place. He had no business dealing with her. He was at fault for not founding the marriage on God's principles and he just spiraled down from that point on. Of course he's going to come unglued and become angry and, and bitter and all kinds of things. At the same time, Samson's wife was at fault for siding with others in her, versus then her husband. She was at fault for not telling her husband that these people were manipulating her in the same way, to, in this case, out of fear, to be able to do this, for he had to deal with it. And then she was at fault for giving up on marriage, because I, and the dad's involved with that because he had left, and so now she didn't give, go with him. No matter what the problem in a relationship, what God commands us most of all is to not give up on the marriage, period. Do not give up on the marriage. Do it God's way. Draw closer to God. He draws closer to God. Both of you drawing closer to God, and you will meet him right there. The three cord will never be broken. It can be healed, reconciliation, forgiveness, all that if both will just pursue God. 
Chapter 15. We see the retaliation going on here. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. He shows up with a young goat. Isn't that a beautiful present? And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. I just came down here to spend some quality time with her, my wife. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought you uh, thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion, your best man. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. <laughs> oh, why did uh, Samson's father-in-law thought he, Samson hated his wife that much? Well, he left. She didn't go with him. Whatever all the details behind the scenes, he ends up showing back up. Wanting to sleep with her again. But it's very possible that Samson's wife, the Philistine wife, actually really tainted or poisoned her father's opinion about Samson. Oh, he doesn't love me. He'll never come back. He hates me. And he's got to do something with his daughter. She can't be stayed single. It's not good in that culture. And even though Samson was angry with his wife's father, the real root of the problem here was his bad choices Samson made in regards to the love in the first place. No wonder Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. We must guard our hearts. Because if we don't, it can result in great trouble. But God used Samson's ungodly anger for his purpose. I still, I know it struggles for some people to struggle with that. But Psalm 76.10 says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. This doesn't justify, again, Samson's anger. But it shows the glory and the power of God to use all things for his purpose to achieve. Verse 4, then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. How do you catch 300 foxes? Think about that. And he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up the, both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Man, massive financial destruction. And that's not easy to recover. You don't just go, oh, let's put another building up. It burned down. Let's just put another building up. They had a whole other season. Their whole livelihood, food, everything gone. Samson's act is like a juvenile delinquent. Yet God used it all for his purpose, again, to, to, to put a, a, a hit toward the Philistines who were coming against his people. Now, some people will sit there and say, there's no way this man could have caught 300 foxes, tied their tails, stuck a, a, a fire there. These guys, there's no possible way. But again, you have to look at the Lord, word of God and says God can do anything he wants to. So through someone and empower them to do that. It, it, so, you know, that, that language here for foxes also means jackal. Either way, you're dealing with something you, you can bite. But these jackals run in these large packs. So he's just, you know, sometimes he could have gotten a, a few here and a few here and a few here. And eventually he's, he's got them all together. It doesn't say it, he did it all in one day. You would read it as a, he just, oh, that's just a few minutes. And I'll just rip this thing together. And no, no, it could have taken a period of time for him to be able to do that. But he was strong enough to do it. Then what happens? Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his because he had taken his wife and had given her to his companions. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. 
she ended up still getting torched. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. After that, I will cease. So God used all this to advance again God's plan for Israel and redemption all of this, using Samson as the judge. Remember, he's a judge. He, God used him in a very unique way to bring judgment against the enemy coming against Israel who was suppressing them. And he used Samson's disobedience for God's glory. Even though it became a very great personal cost to Samson for not doing it God's way originally. Think about the further plan. Think of how great a judge Samson could have been with all of the, I believe, intellect but strength to do God's plan if they would have stopped following his flesh and just followed by faith. And then we see the, just the bitter re story of retaliation, trying to avenge wrongs for the wrongs done to us. Retaliation is never-ending story. One never wins the end when it comes to retaliation. But those who trust in God must be able to say retaliation belongs to God and let him settle the score. You don't have to settle the score. Much of the war, the disasters that we see, the deep-seated hatred that people have between people, or between nations, or whatever. The pain that we see in this world come from the instinct of retaliation. But what did Jesus say for us to do? Jesus told us not to retaliate an eye for an eye, but to take control of the situation by giving even more to someone. Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42. When we do this, we act like God, who did not retaliate against man for his sin and rebellion, but instead gave his only son to die for that man. You're at work and you're, they're coming against you, don't retaliate. Go find some water and hand them a water and say, I hear it's a, it's a really hot day out. I thought you would need some water. Show acts of kindness instead of retaliation. So what happens, verse 8, so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. Etam. This, this, this expression, he attacked them hip and thigh, is an expression for a, uh, you probably refer to it as like a, a cruel slaughter. A very unsparing, no showing any, any mercy at all. I mean, absolute slaughter. One man army taking out all those Philistines and didn't spare anything, no mercy. But then he had to run down and hide like an animal in the cleft, in a cave, a fugitive, act, live like a fugitive at that point in time. Because his, now his head has a, has a bounty on it. No, there's no question. So what happens? Is he safe? <laughs> no. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah. And deployed themselves against Lehi and the men of Judah and said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. And 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hands of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. 
And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. <laughs> These people, what are, they thinking, what are they thinking who they're dealing with here? First of all, look at these things. The fact that the soldiers from the tribe of Judah, his own people, was going to go turn him in. Why? Because they'd been compromised. Because they didn't take and push back the Philistines and let God use them to push the Philistines. Now the, the enemy actually controls them out of fear. And so they gave up Samson to the Philistines. Just sees how, how much of oppression the Philistines had on God's people. They would rather please their oppressors than support their deliverer. Remember, Samson was the judge, the deliverer to help the nation, and they did not get it. They didn't get the fact that God was raising this man up to be their deliverer, and they turned around and threw him to the dogs. But that's, this is a, strangely, this is a common phenomenon. Often when someone stands up to evil, people are angrier than the one who stood up for the evil. Someone stands up. Let me tell you, you guys are all wicked and this is terrible. What's going on in the schools and blah, blah. Other people will actually become angry against the person who stands up for the truth. It's crazy. But it happens. Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? Samson didn't want to hear or recognize that. They shouldn't be ruling over the people. But he said, okay, as long as you don't kill me, he knew in his mind, what are you going to do? If you don't kill me and, 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 and you know, stab me in the back while I'm walking back, I'll deal with these people. So they take good ropes and they tie them up like that's going to help them. It's going to bound him, and it's going to restrict him, or whatever. They obviously do not know who Samson is. Look what happens for 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came up mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. His bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Just happened to be there? Wow. Reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And it, so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramath Lehi, which means jawbone hill. <laughs> there was just a pile of dead bodies, man. He, he just wiped these people out. One man army brought judgment by God's power upon God's enemy. Samson fought alone because he was empowered by God to do that. What happened next? Then he came, became very thirsty, I can imagine. So he, tried, he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance, so he at least recognizes God did it, by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? Wait a minute, are we going to accuse God? Not going to take care of you now? Are you kidding me? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank. Miraculously, water came out of a hollow place and his spirit returned and he revived therefore he called its name en hakor which is in lehi to this day and he judged israel 20 years in the days of the philistine 20 years now keep in mind 40 years they've been in captivity he was brought in during that period of time and ruled for 20 years so samson we see that became very thirsty it reminded him of the fact that he his own weakness and, uh, and the need after such a great victory, the great victory still to come to God, even to, to be able to be replenished and to be strengthened by God for this. But he blamed God like he's not going to follow through with it. But God did miraculously provide for him. Even though his heart wasn't even right with God, the way he just kind of spoke back to God, are you going to let me die here after this great victory? And God still showed mercy and opened up a hollow place because God wanted to use this man 
for the next 20 years to lead God's people and protect God's people, to keep the Philistines back. And again, it's an example of the principle of God's work done God's way. will always be provided by God. And this is where one word comes out of this at the very end here. God's faithfulness in supplying the needs of his servants. His faithfulness, even though the servant wasn't faithful. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And we again, Lord, praise you and honor you and glorify you. Bless all the hearers, Lord. Use your word to minister to the hearts of your people. Bless them, Lord. Provide for them, encourage them in their walk with you. May we fall deeper in love with you and with your God's people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, wonderful night.